Look How Sane and Linear We Are Being is a Homestuck fan analysis podcast and is not affiliated with Andrew Hussey, Viz Media, What Pumpkin Studios, or any of Homestuck's official entities. Please remember to support the release of its books and merchandise whenever possible. Feel free to read along with us. If you have epilepsy or any other light-sensitive disabilities or disorders, we suggest you stick to the audio. This show is not safe for work, and if you're a minor, we ask that you wait to listen until you're old enough to vote for our clown juggalo overlords. It's time to go to hell. Hi, welcome to Look How Sane and Linear We Are Being, a Homestuck fan cast in the year of our Lord 2018. I'm Elizabeth. And I am the first Elizabeth. If by first you mean last, then yes, you're right. No, I was born first. I am the one carrying this podcast. I am the first Elizabeth. I I have read some self-help books about being assertive, and I'm going to do that right now. My name is Elizabeth. My name is Elizabeth. I've read books specifically self-helping people named Elizabeth. Well, then I I should be reading those books. And I guess because I haven't read those books, I'm not really a full Elizabeth. So I guess for this podcast episode, you can call me Lizzie. There we go. And you can call me the full Elizabeth. Oh, I don't think... Elizabeth, you might want to say your words carefully there. Okay, you can just call me Elizabeth. (laughs) Before we talk about all of the Homestuck we read today, I forgot to mention this last episode because we were too busy talking about all of the lovely people on Twitter, but I went on a work trip, and do you want to know what my hotel room number was? I do. It was 413, because I guess the universe hates me. (laughs) You're kidding. I still have the room key. Because it was one of those places where you can check out. They have disposable room keys. If I can get a picture of it that doesn't have any of my personal information or the hotel I stayed at on there, I can prove to you that it it was room 413. I might post that picture on the Twitter later. Oh my god, that's an incredible and beautiful coincidence. Beautiful? Cursed? Uh, both. I'm not sure if it's a coincidence as much as it is that God just hates me. Yeah, that sounds about right. Or the universe just just pushing you to read more Homestuck. It is the universe pushing me to read more Homestuck. I think the universe did a pretty good job of that when I was a teenager. Yeah, good point. I've figured out that there's this very specific feeling of wanting to read Homestuck, and it's unlike any other feeling. I'll just be going about my business, and then I'll just casually think oh there's something that i wanted to read and then i'll go god damn it it's homesuck <laughs> you've you've been changed elizabeth wait you even get that feeling after last reading session where you didn't like the section as much i do i do it isn't so much a i want to read and enjoy homestuck as it is i want to read homestuck for like the sake of reading it. It's, I, I said, it's a very specific feeling. Well, what did you think of the section we read today? Much better. 
much less racism, which I am super down with. I mean, that's that's pretty good. Yeah. This section really just drove home for me just a feeling of, oh my gosh, these are my kids. They're children and I need to keep them safe. Yeah, I that that was I would say the overarching impression of of this section is that the main characters are in fact children and us two adults reading it need to protect them. Yes, I feel like sometimes media where the main characters are children is aimed at the children who are that age. Me, as a 22-year-old reading about these 13-year-olds, just instead of having the sense of, ooh, I want to go on these cool adventures too, has the sense of, oh my god, these poor, they're children, and they're in danger. And they don't even know. They don't even know! It's definitely a different experience reading Homestuck as someone who's 23 over reading Homestuck when I was 16. Because when I was 16, it was that sort of thing like, these kids are just a couple of years younger than me. They're not children to me. These are people who are my peers, but maybe a couple of years younger. Now, I'm like, holy shit, you're 10 years younger than me. You, you could very well be my child. Although, I, I'm not quite old enough for that, unless there is a very horrible teen pregnancy going on. But they are two years younger than my little brother, who I still call my little brother. The thought of that is terrifying. They're so small. It's that same sense when you go back and read something like the Percy Jackson books or Harry Potter, where when you first read them, you were like, hell yeah, magical adventures. And now you're like, oh god, these are babies. Why are they being allowed to to do all of this. It's the same feeling you get when you play Pokemon as an adult. Yes. Because when you play Pokemon when you're 10, you're like, I get to go on this fun adventure. But when you play Pokemon as an adult, you are an adult and you are controlling a 10 year old. And they're, they're 10 and they're just wandering around the country by themselves with their pets. This 10 year old has been to more capital cities than I have. It's frankly, astonishing on all levels. There are adults in Homestuck, but there are a very limited number of them, and they either seem to have a questionable existence in reality and or are very irresponsible. Speaking of irresponsible adults, we got a better glimpse into Dave's life with his brother? And I would like to hear your thoughts on his brother. Because my thoughts are bad. Is child services checking up on this situation? We have not seen Dave's brother directly, but a brother who seems to be in custody of this child and... <laughs> and... runs a puppet porn site that his little brother has free access to and also keeps these puppets just strewn all around the apartment. It just doesn't seem like a healthy arrangement for an impressionable child. Yes, Dave's brother does leave his fetish wear 
strewn about the living Don't room. Call them that. His and his younger brother's apartment. Dave, Dave seems to be under the impression that it is ironic. He has some misconceptions about what irony is. Yes. Here, here's the thing. Uh-huh. It, it could very well have started out as something ironic, but nobody collects that many plush rumps. <laughs> oh, God. Nobody, nobody collects that many plush rumps as an ironic piece, as an ironic collection in their house. You would get maybe one and be like, haha, funny joke, but you don't get 20 of them and strew them about your house. You don't. For you to glare at their globular, Ugh. at their globular plush rumps. You, you don't hang pornography of the Muppets on your wall unless there's something to it. <laughs> panel that Elizabeth pointed out that I didn't see where what 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 was what Muppet character was that? Gonzo and his nose was all pixelated out. It was Gonzo and he had a pixelated nose. I didn't like that at all. I love the Muppets. Don't ruin them for me, Homestuck. I do have to say that not only was the nose pixelated, but he he had his legs sticking up in the air and there was like something tied around his legs and his nose was like touching it. So I think it might have been some kind of sex peripheral, but I do need to, I, I need to know this. Yes. Is the pixelation pixelated in fiction or is it just pixelated for the audience's peace of mind? <laughs> the, the real question is, does Dave Strider, a 13-year-old boy walk into his living room every day and see gonzo porn on the wall. Oh, God! Explicit gonzo porn. We both know the answer to that, Lizzie, and it's not good. It's bad. It's a bad situation. The way Homestuck's narrative style goes is we've seen a couple of these events out of order. So we saw a conversation between Dave and Rose where Dave confided that he is freaked out by the puppets. And then a little bit afterwards, we saw a scene before Dave came to this confrontation. So we, we, we get to see two parts of it. We get to see Dave being completely okay with these puppets. And then we get to see like the slow breakdown into, okay, I think I'm a little freaked out by these puppets. And then he talks about how he ha- he's having nightmares of these puppets. mention. We are gonna have to put content warnings on this episode! (laughs) I'm just, I'm very concerned about Dave's overall situation. When it zoomed out, when John zoomed out, it was like this nice green suburban neighborhood and Dave's at the top of this high-rise in like a smoky city. They haven't said it yet. I do want to point out he lives in Texas. Uh, Does that make a difference? I feel like it does. No, I was just saying, you, you know, you, you're just saying, like, where Dave is living. I'm just saying in Texas. I, I don't know. I don't remember if they specifically say what city he's from. Probably Dallas. Just because it's big. Yeah. I just, like, the image of that one apartment building rising so much above the others and 
I, I never know what's intentional in Homestuck and what's not, of course. But in terms of imagery, the sort of symbolic imagery of John's home versus Rose's home versus Dave's home is very interesting. Mm, just wait until we get to Gigi's home. <laughs> oh god, I can't wait. John's is very idyllic, or, you know, it was idyllic until it got destroyed by a meteor. It felt safe. He could go outside with no issues. It, it was all fine. Rose's, obviously, isn't like that with the torrential rainstorm and the abusive mother and the cat mausoleum. And then Dave's has more of a sense of the literal meaning of homestuck. It isn't a place he can easily leave like John's is. And it's also, if I remember, those panels were in a lot more reds, and roses are all in a lot more grays. John's were all, like, blue and green, you know, up until he got technologically plucked out and dumped in a... in in the medium. Yeah, we know that's what it's called. We do, in the Incipisphere. Well, the Incipisphere is where the kernels were going. Right, with the, with the spires and the globes. And then they were fighting over Skya. I said while we were reading, I feel like I need to be taking notes. You probably should be taking notes. Honestly, there was a lot of information and it all felt important. The, the, it, you're right, it was a lot of information. It felt important. But I also do want to remind you, the container in which we received this information was a spectral grandmother dressed as a clown. Yes, that is true. So, you know, there's always that narrative doubt when narration comes to you through a spectral grandmother dressed as a clown. That is a new character that got introduced in this reading. Nana Sprite is what we called her. Yes, the, the Nana Sprite, who also seems obsessed with baking. John had a bit of a breakdown about that. It runs in the family. Apparently. It's like a reverse... What was that movie? Sound of Music? It's like a reverse Sound of Music with baking, where the whole family wants baking, and John is breaking away from that. <laughs> is Sound of Music the movie I'm thinking of? <laughs> I'm not sure. The one where they're not allowed to have music. Yes, and where, where Maria teaches them all to sing. Because I feel like John is in a reverse sound of music where he's not allowed to not like baked goods. There is a certain amount of pressure put on John to consume the baked goods that are created by his family members. Maybe his family members are just really worried about John's blood sugar. Or maybe they should be worried more about his blood sugar. Early onset diabetes is no joke when you're eating like 10 cakes a day. Not to mention a, a frankly unfathomable amount of cookies. I feel like John's father does not make cake that many cakes on a regular basis. Right. But I feel like John's grandmother did make that many cookies on a regular basis. And that wasn't just a birthday thing. I mean, to be fair, that is sort of a grandmotherly trait. Baking cookies. My grandma bakes cookies. Maybe it's just... Maybe it's just a grandmother thing that she bakes a lot and maybe it was just that jo it was john's birthday that his dad baked a lot of cakes 
I wouldn't know if that was a grandmother thing because my grandmother, very, very lovely and sweet woman, but was just very superstitious about everything. <laughs> oh. And when my grandfather wasn't wasn't listening or was otherwise too hard of hearing to listen to her, she would just tell him to fuck off under her breath. That's a badass grandmother. Oh uh, yeah, she was. Uh, uh, she was. She was a good one. The the question remains though is that this they I don't know if they actually they Nana did not really explain. But do you believe that this is actually John's grandmother? Good question. So so it's been prototyped with the Harlequin and his grandmother's ashes, and has therefore assumed this form. And has the imprint or memory of his grandmother. And that's where, like, the personality and the affection comes from. Maybe even the tendency to bake. But I don't think it's actually his grandmother. Uh, that's fair enough. Maybe it is perhaps a theoretical cross between the personality of his grandmother and if his grandmother was a clown. Well, to be fair, the whole jokes and japes thing also runs in the family so maybe she's closer to his real nana than than we think i don't know if his real nana would be bouncing around going hoo, 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 all the time well we don't know do we we wouldn't we wouldn't know unless we we time traveled which we did <laughs> we did time travel and actually i do want to bring up when we time traveled, we traveled to the past a bit, and we saw a conversation between Gigi and Rose. And I do have to say, I don't think the two of them have as much chemistry as they do with other characters in the story. I agree. There's a bit of a disconnect there. They don't seem to really understand each other. It's going a bit wide. We talked last time about how Gigi and Dave they get each other somehow. They just, they click. And Rose and Gigi, it, it's close, but they just miss each other. I think the thing is, Rose is a little too cynical for Gigi. I think, I think that's fair. But that conversation, just in general. That conversation was so, was so funny to watch these two awkward kids trying to get a conversation out there. Rose would be like, John gave me a birthday present, and then Gigi would be like, was it, was it a knitting set? And she'd be like, how do you know that? And they, they, but they would keep trying blows like, did you lose a pet once? Yes, I did. And it's like, how did you feel about your cat? And Rose is just so uber skeptical of everything Gigi says. I don't even know if it's skeptical because there's the part where she's where Rose says, if someone told me that, I would regard the remark with a great deal of skepticism. That someone was you, on the other hand, then I would have to ask preemptively, is that someone you? It feels like Rose is used to this. And she seems to take it a little bit in stride. But I think she isn't paying enough attention, is the thing. The conversation between Rose and Gigi felt less to me like a conversation between two friends, and it felt more to me like a conversation between an interrogator and a witness. Who is the interrogator and who is the witness? Here's the thing, I think Rose is the interrogator because it feels like the entire time Rose is trying to catch Gigi in like 
whatever weird psychic bullshit is going on. Yeah, no, I agree, actually. She doesn't, she, she's, she's used to Gigi's, yeah, psychic bullshit, whatever it is. It's clearly not bullshit because this is in the past and we know that what she's said in the past actually happens to, to someone like Rose, who seems naturally not only cynical, but also, is cynical the opposite of gullible? Whatever the opposite of gullible is, is Rose. But then she she goes a little too far and then misses things. I do love the one line. This this conversation is happening during Rose's birthday. And Gigi is talking about the gift that they are going to give to John, which has taken them years to do. And so they're building up this cool present for John. And... Just this whole bit of buildup. And then Rose goes, where's my... She basically goes, where's my present? And Gigi, who is a presumed psychic, just says, you're getting nothing. Sorry, you're hard to shop for. <laughs> it's the. It's so funny to me. The, having something for you that I think you'll like better than something in a box is also pretty perceptive of, I think, who Rose is. What the thing is is not perceptive. Creepy, maybe a little bit, with the whole, you had a cat that died, and what if you could bring it back to life? I do think that Rose is the sort of person who would appreciate that sort of gesture. I I think she would, at least outwardly, would prefer an intellectual gift to a physical one. Yeah, I, I do agree with you. I do think it would have been better if, if it was a different intellectual gift than she got. Yes. Because really, she just got some ominous bullshit. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty ominous bullshit. Rose is also 13. I guess just 13 at the time of this conversation. And she probably would have liked a gift. And can I just say that I totally called Rose's gift to John being something she knitted and not sending it to him yet because she hadn't finished it. Although, one thing. Yeah. She just got this knitting set. Yep. She she gets this knitting set for her 13th birthday and she decides to knit something for John for his 13th birthday. How good can this thing that she's knitted for him be? She's probably knitted him a scarf. Garter stitch scarf is pretty easy. You can do that within life. Here's the thing. I know what she I know what she knitted. I know what she <laughs> knitted. It is it's not a scarf. Oh. I don't know how she managed from December to April to get so good at knitting to knit the thing that she gives John. She's very impressive. I also was, I was at first touched that John had gotten her yarn and needles because I was like, oh, he's paying attention to what she likes to do. No, she didn't like to knit yet. It was like a petty. It was get a hobby. What did he say? The, the Yeah, get a new hobby instead of psychoanalyzing all your friends. And then I was not as, I was not as charmed, so... Here, here's one of the reasons why Rose isn't one of my top favorite characters. At least in the beginning, 
or or if she ever was my favorite. I think at one point she was one of my favorites, but she's been knocked down a few rungs in my character echelon. She's she's constantly trying to fight with the people that she's interacting with, but extremely passive aggressively. Because when you see her interacting with her mother, like the last batch of pages we read, we saw this whole thing where she was like, I have to sew up this piece of plastic and then put money in the pocket where I got the W out of, and then I have to embroider something about motherhood onto this pillow. She's constantly trying to one-up these, like, good things that people do for her. And I think she also did that with John here. Yeah. Because John d- gives gives her this kind of passive-aggressive, like, kind of funny gift. But it's also a nice gift because she does end up really liking knitting. About, like, haha, get a hobby, here's your thing. But that's how he would give that specific gift to her because that's how their friendship works. But Rose takes this as a challenge and is like, well, I'll fucking show you. I'm gonna give you a beautiful hand-knitted thing for your birthday. And it just, it feels like another one of those, I'm gonna do better than you. She's like very competitive socially. Yeah, I agree. She sees her relationships and her interactions as sort of debates. I can imagine her having some sort of like internal point system and she has to win. She has a very competitive mindset when it comes to just interacting with people. When you put her next to someone like Gigi, who through the limited interactions with the other characters we've seen, Gigi is fairly compassionate and very excitable and just an overall friendly person. I don't think they mesh well together because Rose is looking at this conversation as an exchange of, like, logical information, and Gigi is looking at this conversation as, I'm gonna talk to my friend. Yeah, that that seems like a really good take on why they don't really match up. It's interesting because Gigi actually compares Rose to Dave, and they said, um, you see, not everybody always means the opposite of what they say the way you and Dave always do. And yet Gigi seems to get along so much better with Dave, at least from an outside perspective. And I wouldn't say that Rose and Dave are that similar at all. I think Rose and Dave use sarcasm in wildly different ways because Rose is using it in this passive-aggressive competitive way. But as we've seen with the, the kind of place that Dave is living in, Dave does not seem to get a lot of positive social interactions in his life. So it seems like Dave is really good at maintaining these relationships because when he talks to a person, it's like, I get to talk to a person and he's using sarcasm as a way to be funny in his conversations so that people will like him. Again, Rose is doing it in this point system. She's in a Telltale game <laughs> where she, she's she she's in a video game where she's constantly looking at the relationship meter between her and all of her friends, and she's trying to figure out like when her next social link is or something. Literally everything about Dave makes me want to say, "Okay, no more homestuck for you. I'm going to take you out of the story and let you dip with the story because." You need a hug already, and we're only on page 400 and something, and I'm concerned. I'm concerned for my boy. (laughs) 
Let me, Elizabeth, let me just say, you will have plenty more reasons to be concerned about Dave later. Oh, no! All right, everybody, it's time for the mid-episode mini-game. Are you all ready to see how Elizabeth fails this one? <laughs> okay, I'm going to take a bridge with that. I did not fail last time. Yes, you did. I succeeded pretty decisively for a while, and, and then I failed. No, you, you only win Troll Jeopardy when you clear the board. <laughs> Well, I answered some questions correctly, and I feel like I should be validated for that because that was the first time that's happened. You answered baby questions for babies. Okay, excuse you. That's just rude. I answered some very high-level, mastery-level questions. You, you told me- you told me who Vriska was. Uh, yeah, I haven't even met Vriska. I feel like I should get major kudos for that. No, I don't think you should. Anyway, we have five minigames that Elizabeth has the chance to be graced with in her presence. And Elizabeth, would you like to read the five games that you might have a chance of playing today? I sure would. We have Music Appreciation, True or False, Hussie's Fixations, Troll Jeopardy, and, of course, image description. Alrighty, and would you like to go ahead and see which game you're gonna be playing today? Alright, I'll spin that wheel. Yeah! And the winner is... True or False! Alright, True or False is a game in which Elizabeth is given three statements about Homestuck's fan base or history and has to decide which of them are strange truths and which are false fabrications made up by me. <laughs> and just so you know, all of these statements could be true, all of them could be false, it could be a mix, you don't know. Alright, I just have to judge each on its own merit. Yes. I do have these split by categories. So today's category is Homestuck's popularity. Oh, okay. I, I feel like I feel good about that category. So are you ready for your first statement that you have to figure out is true or false? I am. All right, here we go. Number one, the sound cascade update effectively DDoSed Newgrounds when it was first posted because of all of the traffic to the site. I actually know what DDoSing is. Oh, I'm gonna go with true. That's correct. Woo! Cascade was one of the biggest Homestuck updates. It also caused slowdowns on Mega Upload later in the day when Hussey tried to put it there. Basically what happened is that Andrew Hussey uploaded Cascade on Newgrounds to try and make sure that MS Paint Adventures didn't shut down during this update because it was it was an update that people have been waiting for for months. Oh, he didn't want he didn't want his site to be destroyed, so he put it up on Newgrounds. And huh. I I think what happened was there was supposed to be something that Newgrounds did to make sure that they were prepared for the heavy traffic, but something happened and they didn't do it, so they just got completely destroyed. It was great. Wow. Are you ready for your second statement? I am. Uh, number two. 
it is estimated that each of Homestuck's individual pages have been read a minimum of 200 million times, with the total page reads on the entire comic ranking at 1.4 billion. Holy shit. That can't be right. False. That one is actually false! I have no idea how many times it's been read since it just switched servers, and I have no idea how to check. Oh, thank god. That would have been so many. Actually, maybe it is that many, and we just don't know. We just don't know. We just don't know. Are you ready for your third statement? I am ready and raring to go. Let's see if you get this one right. The Kickstarter for Hive Swap, the Homestuck video game, was completely funded in less than 24 hours, and it raised a total of $2.5 million. Oh my gosh. I'm gonna say that that's true. Uh, yeah, that's true. It raised $750,000 in 24 hours. Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. It's actually a Kickstarter that when I was in my self-publishing class, we took a look at it to try and dissect how it got funded so fast. Yeah, so we study it in school now, basically. This was one of the most successful Kickstarters. That that makes two of us who have discussed Homestuck in a college class. Oh, I, I hate that that's happened to you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did submit a school assignment on Monday in which I discussed Homestuck. Fuck you. I did do that. Anyway, I... Hate to say it, but you got all three questions correct. Does that mean I win? No, Elizabeth, it doesn't mean you win. And do you know why? Why? Because I had all those statements tacked on at the end, and you didn't verify if they were true or false, so all of your questions were only half answers. And half answers aren't a passing grade, I'm afraid. So you failed this minigame. Oh no, not again. And do you know what happens when you fail a minigame, Elizabeth? What happens when I fail a minigame, Lizzie? You get to read more Homestuck. Lucky me. You've been saying how you've been wanting to read more Homestuck. (laughs) And now I get to. You should really be thanking me. Anyway, next time we'll see if Elizabeth can actually win one of these minigames, am I right? Don't count on it. See you next time! So, one thing I noticed, how narrative works in Homestuck, because that's really the most interesting thing to me, is that the narrative is constructed to, seems to assume that we know everything about how the universe and the technology associated with the universe works, but then at the same time it also clearly has to explain them because we don't. I was thinking about that as we got to the part where suddenly John was leveling up and gaining some sort of cash prize. And and the story, the narrative, took it as gospel. What happens is that it references things that have not been explained. And so we're sort of 
constructing things from the ground level. It, it, it expects us to hit the ground running. Some games, when they have tutorials, they come out and they're like, this is a tutorial. And by the way, I don't like it when games do that because it, it really just takes me out of the whole thing. It, it, it's not that the tutorial is integrated into the gameplay, um, so to speak. It, it assumes that we have the conceptual level required to figure out what's going on. It assumes we know game theory and we know that when you play games, you level up and you gain prizes for winning and you carry stuff around. It, it assumes all of this base level knowledge and then makes these wild leaps into the actual world construction of Homestuck from there. I feel like Homestuck's audience, the pool of people in this world who could read Homestuck and comprehend what the fuck's going on, at least in 2018, where we are right now, the pool of audience is very small. I could not hand Homestuck to my mother and have her understand any of it because she does not play video games. She does not like video games. I feel like you need to be a person that has played at least one video game to understand what the hell Homestuck is doing. You need to be a gamer boy. You don't need to be a gamer boy, <laughs> but you need to... <laughs> you need to be a gamer boy. You need to play at least one JRPG to know what the fuck's going on. Right. The narrative is built on the concept and the structure of video games. And so if you don't have that foundation, if you don't have that structure, there's nothing really to build on. And as confusing as it is already, it gets that much more so. Now, me, Lizzie, personally plays a good amount of video games. That is that is me. I do have video games in my house, in my home. I understand this completely. Elizabeth, I know, does not play very many video games. So Elizabeth, I do have to ask, do you know what's going on? I would say I do. I have played a few video games. I've played a little bit of Dragon Age Origins, and I have a, right here in front of me on my desk, I have a Game Boy Advance with two Pokemon cartridges, and Super Mario 3, and Legend of Zelda, the Meanish Cap. So... Did, I'm, I'm sorry, I have to stop the podcast. Did you call it the Meanish Cap? That's what it's fucking... Let me fucking pull it out. It's M-I-N-I... -I it's, it's the Minish Cap. Minish? Minish! Minish! They never say it out. I've never heard that said out loud. I, I, I have. It's the Minish cap. Min, min, uh, what? I think Minish is a word. What? I think I think Minish is a word that they're using. I don't. It's not like the name of the hat. It's like a word. God, I'm really pulling a rose here. There's there's no reason for me to have thought that I was pronouncing that word incorrect. It's really not all that important. I, was I do just... now realize that that was probably derived from like the word mini because it allows Link to shrink down real small. Mm -hmm. The minish cat. So. No, I, I, I'm standing by my, my pronunciation, minish cat. Anyway, I was going to ask 
real quick, what is your favorite video game in your collection? Because I want you to ask me what my favorite video game is, because I think the audience will love it. I I do like my my Zelda game. I'm on my second or third playthrough. I've always been a fan of Pokemon. So big fan. What's your favorite game, Lizzie? This is not ironic. This is <laughs> not a joke. I play this game at least once a year. My favorite video game of all time is on the Game Boy Advance and it is Hamtaro Ham Ham Heartbreak. I am not joking. <laughs> I can recite this game from memory. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. You are valid. But I also, I'm also playing Persona 5 right now. <laughs> but, you know, Hamtaro Ham Ham Heartbreak is my favorite video game. No joke. Not, not ironic. Not a Dave joke. I'm serious. Yeah. Yeah. That's valid. There are just some of those games that just stick with you all through your life. To, to get back from the, the horrid derailing that we just <laughs> took of this Minish Cap Hamtaro adventure, <laughs> do you, as, a, as someone who doesn't play that many video games, do you understand what Homestuck is getting at? I think I do. I mean, out of all games that I've played, actually, ironically maybe, the ones that I've played most aren't. RPGs or anything like that, they're the kind of Sims roller coaster tycoon games. Burb seems to kind of be mimicking at times. So, in that sense, I think I have a grasp of things. But since that's combined with this sort of RPG style, I guess I would say I don't know what I don't know. In that, if there are things that I'm missing, it's because I just don't notice because I don't, I, I haven't really played a lot of video games. That's fair. I do think that Homestuck does a good job of explaining the things that you need to know to get through Homestuck. Like, you could get into more of the Strife syllabus if you really wanted to, but if you're just reading the comic, you can understand John puts things in his syllabus and because of the shitty modus he has, it expels it out. It's Silladex. I don't want you to get tweeted at. What did I say? You did say You did say syllabus. I said syllabus? <laughs> you did. Oh my goodness. That's not what I meant to say. I meant to say- I meant to say Silladex. I, I figured. I didn't want anyone to at you. <laughs> Thank you. I, I find it interesting. I'm sure this is going to come back around from the sense I've gotten on the internet. This is going to come back around. The whole part where the Nana sprite was explaining things, the image of a chessboard was interesting to me because it, it's sort of in the same gaming sense. Chess is a very different kind of game than a lot of video games. It's fairly simple. It has this very direct confrontation between two sides, and the goal is clear. Each piece moves in a specific way, but at the same time, there's infinite possibilities of the sequence of moves. So I think the choice to use that, I don't know whether it's actually a metaphor or whether it's more literal than that. Oh! You'll see. Yeah, I- Elizabeth, I, I, have, I haven't answered that question, and that question is yes. 
okay. I thought it might be. I I do also want you, Elizabeth, to think about the implications that Andrew Hussey is using a war game as a metaphor. And that's all I'm going to say. The, the last thing I'll say on that is that it put me in mind of the of that movie, War Games, where there's the, the computer that decides whether nuclear missiles should launch, and it has to come to the conclusion that it's a no-sum game, in the same way that tic-tac-toe is. Something about the that chessboard image and the kings moving around the border in constant opposition, but never in stalemate, really reminded me of, of that movie. We'll see if there's anything to that. Oh, Elizabeth, I do also want to bring your attention back to the fact that we had a couple more interactive flashes in this batch of yes pages. Yes, a couple games. Yeah, a couple games. I do want to alert alert the, the, the listeners, the page with the pogo stick, the pogo stick game where you use the arrow keys to do six stunts. Elizabeth and I played it. Yep. And Elizabeth, do you want to tell your score to the audience real quick? Let's see. My score was 155,908. And mine was 218,288. And if you tweet us your score for this minigame, you'll tweet us your score for this minigame. <laughs> we won't give you a prize or anything. I just want to see what people get in this <laughs> minigame. Please tweet your score at us. It will make our day. Please tweet your score at us. We'll, we'll like it and retweet it just for shits and giggles. I just think it would be fun. To see what all of your scores were. You know, it's sort of a ranking of Elizabeth's then. I will say in, in this one, Lizzie pretty decisively got a higher score than I did. Are you around an Elizabeth or are you are you more around a Lizzie? That's the question. Yeah, if you can beat my score, you can beat my score. <laughs> you sure can. You sure can. <laughs> But yeah, we had that mini game. We oh, and by the way, the the Twitter that you can add us if you want to do if you want to cut away right now and do that right now. Our Twitter is at how underscore sane. Yep, get get online now. Tweet us so you don't forget, and we'll admire your six stunts. Other than the pogo mini game, did you did you have any thoughts on these mini games? Did you like them? Do you think it adds something, or do you think it's annoying to have to interact with the story as it's being told. I think it's very interesting. I suppose I felt more ambivalent about them than anything, but from a from a scholarly perspective, I wasn't kidding. My digital humanities class had a whole class on multimodal scholarship, and I did talk about this exact thing that it it just sort of adds to that multifaceted in interactive aspect of Homestuck, from my perspective, maybe not from the average reader's perspective, but from my perspective, it's less about whether I found them fun and more about what it adds to Homestuck as the sort of interactive multimedia, multimodal webcomic, which sounds like lows levels of pretentious. 
Elizabeth, I, I do want to call you out real quick. I, I want to call you out so bad because we did that episode recording and then a couple of days later you went into class and then you sent me screenshots of this class discussion you did. And there, there was a point where you sent me these screenshots where I realized you hadn't had this lesson in school yet and you didn't know if you were using the word multimodal correctly. Okay, I have an explanation for that. And that explanation is there isn't one definition for multimodal. That was an actual discussion point in class. We said, what does multimodal mean, really? And we all just sort of shrugged because there isn't one definition. One definition is multimedia, but I really did define it as as sort of a subset of that. And I stand by that. I am fine with that being a word that doesn't have in my own defense. I, I am fine with a word with a word that doesn't have a solid definition. That's fine with me. My problem is that you, Elizabeth, as a scholar that we trust, came to us with this definition of this word, and I trusted your judgment of this definition, and you did not come out front and say, this word isn't something that can be so easily defined. You did not give me that disclaimer. You are a fraud and a sham of an academic, and I am taking away, what is it called? Your diploma. I, okay, first of all, academia is just literally all bullshit. Anyway, to anyone who is in academia right now, I would apologize, but you know it's true. I do want to point out, Elizabeth, that you also said that you might use this podcast for, like, some cataloging project in your grad school. Do you really want to say academia is bullshit on our podcast? Yes, I do, and yes, I'm going to. <laughs> I think I'm I'm sticking to my guns on that one. Listen, anyone who is in academia knows that it's mostly bullshit, and then you just sort of have to... <laughs> you know what you have to do, Lizzie. What do I have to do? You know what you have to do? No, I'm not going to be able to, to come up with the exact wording that you used last episode so beautifully. What did I say? <laughs> with the, with the, the, the dirt and the, um... Oh, oh, <laughs> I'm digging for treasure and eating the dirt! Yeah, that's academia. You have to, you have to... You have to eat the dirt a lot of the time. And sometimes that includes defining multimodal before you have a class on it in which you decide that it doesn't really have a set definition. So I'm I'm sticking to I'm, it. I am still extremely skeptical. Now, Elizabeth, I do want to say we are running out of time on the rest of this podcast. I want to kind of do some lightning round questions at you real quick. I just want quick answers from you. Oh, wait. I promised not to blow you too much. <laughs> Is that possible? You're in academia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. First, Rose has has a pony in her house. What's up with that? Um, she has been given a pony because that's what girls like, right? Ponies. I'm guessing that that's the... That was the um, thought process there. It was a it was another ironic mother gift 
that probably isn't as ironic as Rose thinks it is because she thinks everything's a fight. Number two, when we were reading through this section, you had a lot of thoughts about all of John's character animations again because every time we look at him, you say he's more precious. <laughs> okay, listen, I love his expressions. I love them. My favorite was when he was like, and we're gonna save the world! And then the Nana Sprite was like, no. His smile just fell away, and his upraised fist just dropped, and it was so sad. <laughs> you just want to protect him. He wanted to save the world. He wanted to save the world so bad. He can't do that. And she was like, nope, your world's done for. And he was like, oh. Another quick thing, Sweet Bra and Hella Jeff, what do you think of it? I think that it's very accurate to what a 13-year-old would make as a webcomic and think was very funny. And to be fair, it's not not funny. There are, there are some Sweet Bro and Hella Jeff pages that I hate, and some of them that I love dearly. And I think the page, He Has the Rock, is one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing real quick, what do you think of Little Cal? Terrifying, do not like, basically, Elf on the Shelf, except so much worse and bad. Then the last thing I'm going to ask of you before we close out the podcast for today, but how would you like to get your hands on some of that plush rump? Oh god, did we have to close with that? We absolutely did. <laughs> we absolutely did. That's going to be all of the homesick we have for today, everybody. We read through pages 389 through 495 today. You can read all of Homestuck at homestuck.com. And if you need an accessible version, uh, you can go to Look How Sane on Tumblr, our blog. We have the original webcomic linked, also a version with image descriptions if you need that, and audiobook version. That's lookhowsane.tumblr.com. And if you also need episode transcriptions for our podcast, Elizabeth does write them and put them on that same blog. If you want to tweet us your minigame score, or if you want to talk to us about anything else, you can tweet us at, at how underscore sane on Twitter. Also, please rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, we really appreciate that, as always. Our music is done by Elizabeth's brother, John Michael who does a very good job. He sure does. As always, until next time, remember everyone, Vriska did nothing wrong. I bet, I bet Vriska would like to get her hands on some of that plush rump. Go, guys! <laughs>